and welcome to that tech pod where we discuss all things e-discovery, cybersecurity, data privacy, and tech innovation. I'm Laura Milstein, and I know a little bit about technology. And I'm Gabby Schulte, and I know a notch below Laura, learning a lot, glad to be here. That's why each week we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. And today, Gabby, who are we talking to? Today, we're talking to Brandon Pugh. He's a senior fellow at and policy counsel for the R Street Institute's Cybersecurity and Emerging Threats team. He focuses on data security and privacy, local and state cyber, and military cyber, among other areas. Outside of R Street, he serves as an international law officer in the U.S. Army Reserve and on several boards, including Governor's Advisory Council, Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. Laura and Gabby, it's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, listened to several of your shows, so it's neat to be on myself. Uh, awesome. And I, I, I have to say, I've, I've learned a couple of things from your shows too. So, Oh, there you uh, go. <laughs> We're all good, good learning company. here. Absolutely. Well, Brandon, tell us a little bit about yourself and like how you got into the um, specifically, uh, you know, security policy. Sure. Yeah. So as you noted before, I'm a senior fellow with the uh, R Street Institute, which is a uh, nonpartisan think tank in D.C. Uh, and I'm on the cybersecurity emerging threats team. So that's one of our multiple teams that range everything from criminal justice to insurance. But selfishly, I think I'm on the best team. Um, and prior to coming to R Street, I was the legislative counsel for the New Jersey General Assembly, where I handled um, nearly all state level policy and legislation on tech privacy, cyber uh, for that office. Uh, you know, before that role, I had, I served in local county and state elected and appointed office. Uh, in each one of those roles, I had a cyber portfolio or at the very least I developed one. Um, you know, before that, I had a few other different positions. I had a, I did a fellowship with the FBI. I led a national cyber publication for a number of years. Uh, so cyber has always been my passion. Uh, then in our street, I specifically am focusing on our data privacy efforts, but still maintaining a broader tech and cyber portfolio as well. Yeah, and we wanted to bring you on specifically because we knew, you know, there's some legislation happening on Capitol Hill. You were explaining to us earlier that there's been a lot of bills introduced, but one is kind of gaining traction, and that is uh, the ADPPA. Is that correct? That is correct. The uh, I always mess up the full name, but let me try it. American <laughs> okay. Data Privacy and Protection Act, uh, or the ADPPA. Uh, awesome. And you're right. The privacy debate in D.C. has been going on for years. Uh, there's been people that just are in their entrenched camps, don't want to move on certain positions. And it's been hard to move a bill forward. Not to say there hasn't been efforts. They just haven't moved. What separates this bill is really two main things. First, it has bipartisan and bicameral support. Uh, and, then, and then secondly, uh, it's moved out of the House Committee. So just on July 20th, it, it moved on from the House Energy and Commerce Committee um, with 53 votes in favor and only two against. So now it's really on up to the full House to move forward. Um, there's still challenges ahead. I don't want to downplay them and we can dive into them. But this is still huge progress for privacy legislation. Can you talk to any of the security aspects of the bill? Yeah, glad you mentioned it because oftentimes people are just focusing on the privacy provisions, which there's plenty of, uh, and they really advance where we've been in terms of privacy, in my opinion. But there's also security requirements. 
Um, specifically, there's, I'd say, three worth flagging. Uh, one is a baseline to require actual protection of data. So right now, some states have laws around that, but this would require administrative, uh, technical, as well as physical controls to safeguard data. Um, it also requires notice to individuals that their data is transferred to select foreign countries like China. Uh, that's pretty new for us. We, we've known for a long time that data is going to the hands of our you know, competing nations as well as potential enemies. Uh, but this would actually require notice to the individual. Uh, and then third, the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC, they'd have a role in this as well. They would be responsible for developing rulemaking to actually spell out what some of these controls for security would look like. Um, you know, recognizing that company size varies as well as the type of data they have varies as well. And that's two parameters they have to keep in mind. Yeah. And, you know, what are some of like, you know, you said this bill kind of has a long way to go still, but say it passes uh, both chambers and it's it's being enacted. Um, what what are some of the day to day um implications that we might see as consumers? Yeah, so uh, there's consumers are probably be one of the largest entities to the benefit. I'd really say there's three groups to take a step back uh, and they really connect the widest laws needed between consumers, industry, as well as just national security. But specifically consumers, only five states right now have data privacy laws. And their provisions vary. I mean, we know the European Union has one, but in the US, that's kind of a foreign concept. This would really empower consumers that have rights and control about how data that's collected in them is used and what rights they have to do a lot of tasks. Like, do they have the right to access it? Do they have the right to delete it? Um, then equally as important on the industry side, this would put different responsibilities on industry in terms of how they use the data. Uh, just on one extreme in terms of minimizing the data they collect, and then also putting rules in place around how they can share that data, um, rules around advertisement. Uh, and these are really just standards that we don't see in uniform in the United States outside of just those select states. Yeah. And, you know, going a little step further, a little bit more into the specifics, I think um, one of the things that I've been seeing from people who really advocate for data privacy is the implications that this bill might have for kids who use, uh, you know, phones, apps, all that stuff. So can you spell that out a little bit for us? Yeah. So this bill does a lot for, for kids. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that because actually just this morning, so July 27th, the, the Senate Commerce Committee took up two bills, one to dealing with uh, children's online privacy protections. Um, and this bill would have similar provisions um, in terms of like how data can be used on children, who it can share it with, what level of knowledge is needed, uh, and then also age ranges in terms of are we looking at a standard for 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, or 13-year-olds. Um, and I know even listening to the House committee last week, that was a sticking point for most members. Most members were most in favor of this bill, or at least it was one of their top reasons for supporting it, were because of the privacy protections for kids. Because you can imagine an adult can enter into a lot of these things willingly because you know they're an adult. Here, children unknowingly oftentimes are using these services and having data collected in them, and that's shared with third parties. 
Meanwhile, the, the child is, is a minor and can't consent to that kind of stuff, or at least be aware of it. Uh, there'd be additional protections to, to take into account that. Do you think there's going to be, so, so with, with putting in new protections and things like that, and not specifically around children, just as a whole, do you think there's any hesitation to monitoring things? As in, you're saying, hey, we're doing this to protect ourselves, to protect our data, to protect our kids, but there's always a line, and I think we've talked about this a lot in different podcast episodes when it comes to data privacy, of what makes you feel safe without making you feel censored, almost? What do you think that looks like? And do you think there's any hesitation around that aspect? I, I guess the, how this bill would connect to that is the individual would have a lot more rights here. So on, on one side, they would have the right to opt in and opt out of certain data collection. Uh, so targeted advertising is probably one of the better examples. Um, here, an individual, you know, granted, the text changes daily. So this could change. But as it stands now, individuals have the right to opt out of targeted advertising. Um, so that's something that they currently don't enjoy now. Uh, and then also, the, if data is sensitive, certain areas would require their affirmative express consent, meaning they have to opt in for data to be shared. So I think that's a big takeaway here is really the consumer themselves would be the one empowered uh, to for these rights. But there is also some concerns among industries, obviously, because this will change certain business practices, including how advertising is done. Um, some say that's not as big a concern as others are saying it is. Uh, but I think at the very least, it would take would require businesses to take a step back uh, and, and kind of alter the business models if the current text would, you know, continue. Do you think, um, you know, you were, you were talking about this as bipartisan, bicameral support. What are some of the maybe um, not just challenges in general, but maybe shortcomings of the bill that you see people might be bringing up if they oppose such privacy me measures? Yeah, on a, on a broad sense, uh, a, a political challenge exists. Um, right now, th there's four individuals that would have ideally in, been sponsored this bill. You would have had the chair of the Senate Commerce Committee, the ranking member of the same committee, as well as the chair and the ranking member in the House Committee. Uh, this, this current bill has three of those individuals. Uh, Senator Cantwell is the chair of the Senate Commerce Committee, is not supportive of this bill, and she's actually in the past come out pretty vocally against this bill. Uh, she's been citing that the enforcement provisions here are fairly weak. Um, and that's that's a challenge for a couple of reasons. Um, obviously, just getting it to move ahead in the process. Um, if she's not supportive of the bill, she's unlikely to make that heard in her committee. Uh, or perhaps she'll have her own bill draft. I know some people are, are thinking she may post a standalone bill. So that's, that's to be told. Um, but then also connected with that is California Democrats uh, in particular are against this bill. Many of them in, in the House committee last week raised concerns because their state is one of the few that has a state-level privacy bill. Um, and this bill would definitely impact their, their current bill. It would limit the applicability. And we can go into some of the big concepts you may have heard of, like preemption. That's a big concern right now among California Democrats. Um, the counterpoint to that would be is the current text actually goes farther and is stronger than many provisions in the California law. But at the end of the day, this is a law that they passed, and there's concerns that they have that a lot of their work would kind of be put to the side. Um, I don't fully agree with all those concerns, but there are a couple I'm sympathetic to. Um, so I'd say just that's that's kind of the political side of this, and, and connected that is also the timing. 
this current Congress is doesn't have much time left, and we're about to go on the recess, and then it's an election year. So uh, we are eternal optimists at our street. So like we're always going to continue to push this bill forward, realizing that there can be changes to it, and there there probably should be. But then the day, this is the farthest we've gotten. And if we don't act in it now, there's no telling when a bill like this would come back. We don't want to see this debate continue for another decade where consumers and industry are put at a disadvantage. Um, so I know I threw a lot at you. I could go into some of the specific provisions that we, we'd like to see changed as well. But yeah, well, um, yeah, well, before we get to that, you know, I kind of want to go into something you were talking about, which is, you know, some of the well, how you at our street are, are forever optimists. And so tell us a little bit about some of the the roadblocks that you guys face, especially with working uh, on bipartisan uh, legislation that seems uh, kind of, well, I guess the um, the thinking nowadays is that that might be like a dinosaur, right? Like what is bipartisan nowadays? So um, yeah, tell us a little bit about like some of the challenges that you guys face. The challenges is really the wide range of opinions that stakeholders have on how certain provisions should play out. Uh, just give you one example, like preemption, uh, which it, it's for those that are not familiar with the legal concept in terms of how federal law will interact with state law. So if there's a federal privacy law, will that replace state law or is there room for state law to continue? I'm oversimplifying it, but that's essentially what it is. There are some people that want this new federal law just to be the baseline where so states could enforce and, and enact stronger laws. And that's what we saw one uh, representative from California propose. Uh, but there's others that want the exact opposite. No room for state action in a strong federal bill. And I use that to just to, to share an example, because we oftentimes will talk about individual provisions separately, but they're all linked. Uh, I think for this bill to pass, it's going to require compromise. I don't see a bill where anybody's 100% happy with the bill. And if there was a scenario where that existed, then chances are it wouldn't pass because we need give and take in this bill. Not saying we should be satisfied with a weak bill or a bill that's deficient, but I think at the end of the day, people are going to have to realize they're not going to get everything they want. At some point, we should be realizing that having a bill that's strong is better than not having anything. Um, and, and that's kind of what our thought is. So what our street has done over the past year, we identify the traditional roadblocks to legislation passing, and we work with over 120 stakeholders to try to find a consensus position. Uh, and then at a broader level, in terms of what can you do to address every issue? So we want to identify a menu of options, if you will, for members of Congress, but then also to pull from those to, to determine how to solve them. And the three areas we looked at was preemption, uh, a private right of action, which essentially means can an individual sue a company directly for violating their rights? And the third is just the role, the role of the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC uh, in rulemaking and enforcing this new federal privacy bill. That's a lot. I'm just taking it all in right now. I, I'm weirdly taking notes because uh, I'm like, I know this is li like live for us right now. And I can always go back and listen when the episode goes. But I'm like, this is good stuff that I feel like it, it's hard to almost process it all. There's just so much information. So for 
can you tell people not necessarily like who this affects, but who should be paying the most attention? Is this something everyone should just be aware of? Um, is it something that uh, we should feel silly if we if we aren't? Can you kind of break down why this matters so much and specifically to who? And, and I know you've talked about why it matters a bit, but but more of just to everyone. Yeah, not, not to give you a typical attorney answer, but it, it depends. And the reason I say that is I probably have a, a different answer for the short term, but then a different answer for the long term. So in the short term, people need to just work toward uh, moving this bill forward. Even if they're against this bill, then I think it's important to be constructive and offer feedback in terms of how we can make this better and in terms of how you would be supportive of this bill. Where there are some organizations that are entrenched right now saying, no, we're not moving this bill, bill, or we're going to try to actively kill it because there's something we don't like. So I think it's in the short term, it's better for industry groups as well as advocacy groups to work together and try to find ways uh, to find to, to reach a middle ground. Um, because if that doesn't occur, the chance of the bill being successful, they, they definitely diminish. Uh, but then long term, I think everybody should be aware of this. If you're a consumer, this is going to empower you to have rights for your data that you haven't experienced before, unless you happen to live in one of those five states. And even if you do, you're going to have additional ones. But obviously, this is going to ha have an impact on industry. So if this bill were to pass, industry should be proactive in terms of reading the provisions and thinking about how it will impact their business practices. Um, certain Provisions of the bill won't come online immediately. Some are delayed. Some require the federal government to take additional action. But it's better to be proactive than reactive. But you know, to, you know not to, to give industry, um, you know, a, a lot of industry is are following best practices for privacy already. You know, a lot of them do business in GDP in Europe, so they're following the GDPR. Um, but this would provide those that are not doing that a requirement as well as just creating new uh, provisions as well. Yeah. And so you, you were talking a little bit before about things like preemption and, um, and, you know, uh, private right of action. But one thing that I think is interesting that we haven't touched on yet is um, something about the countering algorithm. I have so much trouble with this word, algorithmic discrimination. So tell us a little bit about what this bill does for, you know, we, we, we hear like algorithms are dangerous. Can you give us a little bit of background about that and what this bill would kind of do to counter that? Hey, and Gabby, don't feel bad because uh, I work with somebody named Sophia <laughs> and I probably said alg algorithmic discrimination to her like 30 times when this bill <laughs> came out uh, because I could just not say it. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard um, one. But you're right. Well, so this bill does a couple things in, the, in that sense. One that's really groundbreaking is there's civil rights provisions uh, presented in this bill. So it essentially, I'm oversimplifying it, but um, you wouldn't be able to use data in a discriminatory way, whether that's being done based on race. Um, race is probably the best example, but this would affirmatively put that obligation in there. Um, and then it would take a step Further, there also needs to be impact assessments where algorithms that are used by companies need to be assessed. And there's a scope in the bill that talks about how that's done. Um, but those that the current wording is those that present a consequential risk um, to an individual, they need to have impact assessments done. And I would define that for you, but that term is actually not defined in the bill, uh, which means leads many to question, well, what is actually a consequential risk and how would that play out? And I think that's one of the areas that we've identified that should be defined and 
many members of industry are concerned because that would be a new standard they're subjected to, but they don't actually know what it means. Um, but I, I definitely want to give Congress the benefit of the doubt because they have moved a long way. Uh, when the bill discussion draft of the bill first came out, which is just text they circulate before it's formally introduced, uh, that would have applied to basically every algorithm that's used. And I think there's a balance there because you know algorithms they they can have bias, and that's something that shouldn't be done in my personal opinion. But we, there needs to be a balance between having impact assessment done in every algorithm and those that are just high risk, those that would have consequential decisions. And that's a big difference. Every algorithm would be an enormous burden on, on a company and just probably probably not feasible. And then related to that, there's a federal government role here too in terms of receiving and reviewing them. They wouldn't be able to keep up with it. So that I think that is an area that a lot of people would say needs to continue to, to work out in the legislation, although it has come a long way. Yeah. Well, Brandon, you have been amazing and we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, I'd like to just ask a, a final question from your point of view, just to get your perspective on it. What do you hope happens next in data privacy? So uh, ideally, I'd like to see federal data security and data privacy law passed. I, I know that may be sound optimistic to some, whether it's this bill or another, we do need a law in the United States. Uh, I think ADPPA is the best bill to do that because it's the furthest we've ever come. I think we need to continue to work on that collectively from different groups and try to improve this bill, but try to move forward together to try to make this Congress the one to pass that bill. Uh, I think it'd be better for national security, uh, industry, as well as consumers. Awesome. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. No, Gabby, Laura, it's a a pleasure. Uh, Always happy to talk about data privacy and data security. We just talked to Brandon Pugh. He's a senior fellow and um, data policy legislation extraordinaire. What are your extraordinaire takeaways? Um, I didn't know much about R Street. I think one of the things that I was interested in why I wanted him on is because there's a lot of think tanks and I like that theirs is supposed to be more of the quote non-biased one where they're talking to equal amounts of Republicans and Democrats. And I think he is so knowledgeable and so interesting because he's talking about a bill that it, it's not, even though it's political, it's not necessarily, you know, one side versus the other. It's everyone because it's data. Um, normally, when we're covering these topics, we're diving really deep into a sort of tech solution or a tech product. But I appreciate that for this episode, we got to talk more about the legal aspect of, of knowing more of what's happening with your data, how to be protected, what changes depending on your state, depending on your country, what that looks like. So I, I thought it was great. Yeah, exactly. I liked, I hadn't, I didn't really think of the ins and outs of something that, you know, if something becomes a federal law, you know, there's preemption. Um, and so that's something that I never really thought of, but thanks to Brandon, now I do. Uh, Laura, if people want to find us, where do they go? 
They can uh, check us out on our website, www.thattechpod.com. Put your email, subscribe, get some merchandise, stay up to date, check out past episodes, uh, suggest future episodes to us at contact at thattechpod.com or just tell us anything you want to tell us or just say, hey, you can also check us out on LinkedIn. Tweet us slash that tech pod Twitter as you know, Gabby was excited about, you know, you tweeting us. Do it. We're awful at Twitter. Instagram at that tech pod. What else should they do, Gabby? You can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and just give us a five-star rating and review. We would love you forever, and we will see you next time. See you next time.